odds and ends, odds and ends, lost time is not found again. Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. It's filled with bits and pieces, odds and ends. So shall we get started because it's a little bit chilly in here in the shed. Anyway, I've only two photographs I have taken hanging on the walls of my home one of my youngest daughter and the other a close-up of the strumming hand of Sex Pistol Glenn Matlock playing EMI for me on an acoustic guitar. I have 20 photographs by other photographers, including Colin Jones, Edith Tudor Hart, Cecil Beaton, David Eustace, Lisa Law, Eugene Smith and Gavin Evans. Images that we as a family enjoy. Photographers putting their photographs on the wall, asking questions and not being expected to be questioned. Both are about expectation. Artists cover their walls with their work, contemplation, reflection. Why do photographers do it? For the same reasons? To remember those great images? Because they have them left over from an exhibition? Interior design? A photographer recently on Twitter asked the question, or made a statement, I should say, that there was something a bit weird about filling the walls with your own photographs. I don't do it, and that's just my choice. And a lot of other photographers obviously do it and don't do it. If that person who made the comment felt it was a bit weird, I'm okay with that. Don't necessarily agree, don't necessarily disagree. But once again, the photographic community's ire was up and people started to make comments and kind of criticise this photographer for having an opinion. I think it's important to understand that statements and questions on social media can provoke some strong and often strange reactions. I often find very personally centred reactions. Anyway, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't make statements and you shouldn't have opinions. But be ready to see the response as a social experiment. And don't take it personally. Whilst we're on the uh, subject of Twitter, which seems to have been a a bit of a theme for me over the last few episodes, but uh, for good reason, I think... uh, A week is a long time in politics. It's even longer on Twitter. And it seems to be that not only politics, but Twitter seems to be in a state of collapse. I understand that they're selling their office furniture to pay the rent. I think that may be some kind of a metaphor. That's uh, Twitter, by the way, not uh, the political parties, although that wouldn't surprise me either. Anyway... One of the key things, of course, with social media has been the idea of big numbers. And I've spoken about the fact that I lost the the big number following and how actually it didn't really bother me. And I've been talking to a few people recently about this. And there's an interesting kind of a pivot going on, which is what I'm noticing and talking to people about and they're confirming is that those big numbers are no longer relevant. People are seeing through the big number following to a great extent. I'm not saying this is a complete kind of rejection of that, but it certainly is a rejection of sorts. And what people are looking for is engagement rather than numbers. So 
makes me think buildings, followings that are based on uh, asking generic questions and then not wanting to be questioned. I mentioned that just briefly uh, before when I was talking about those photographic exhibitions. A lot of people going on to social media and saying, show me your pictures and I will retweet them or um, what's wrong with photography. And they're obviously hoping to get engagement, but it's an engagement on such a shallow level that it really has very little true meaning. So are following its numbers on screen, are they worth what they're written on, on the screen? Are they on paper? Well, no, they're not. They're shallow and they're fragile. The world of bots and follower numbers based on little if anything are making such numbers seem as fake as they truly are. As I say, it's engagement that matters. Whilst we're on the subjects of engagement, why don't we have a little chat about AI? Now, a lot of people have been talking about AI in photography. We spoke with Jonas Benningson at the Christmas on the Christmas episode, I should say, about that very thing. But a lot of you may also have come across recently Chat GPT, which I understand Elon Musk also has some kind of a hand in. Anyway, what it basically is, is an AI program that allows you to write articles. A lot of journalists are using them. A lot of children are using them at the moment, using ChatGPT, I should say, uh, to do their homework. It's only been available since last November, but already it's causing lots of people in education to sit up and take notice. Well, one of the people who also took notice was a singer, songwriter, all-round rock icon, uh, Nick Cave. I'm sure you'd hate to be described as a rock icon, but I'm going to do it. Anyway, uh, he has a great uh, kind of a blog called The Red Hand Files. Uh, Nick, based down in uh, Brighton now on the south coast of England, If you're ever down in Brighton, you'll often see him strolling around. Anyway, the red hand files, his fans can put up uh, comments and he responds to them. And somebody put up a Nick Cave song that they had written through a chat, I should say, GBT. Nick responded in this way. I'm going to read how he responded because I think it's so relevant, not only to this idea of AI, uh, writing, but also, also I should say, AI photography and the kind of AI photography I'm currently seeing. So this is what Nick Cave had to say. Songs arise out of suffering, by which I mean that they are predicated upon the complex internal human struggle of creation. And well, as far as I know, algorithms don't feel. The data doesn't suffer. Chat GPT has no inner being. It has been nowhere. It has endured nothing. It has not had the audacity to reach beyond its limitations. And hence, it doesn't have the capacity for a shared transcendent experience, as it has no limitations from which to transcend. Chat GPT's melancholy role is that it is destined to imitate and can never have an authentic human experience. No matter how devalued and inconsequential the human experience may in time become. What makes a great song great is not its close resemblance to a recognisable work. Writing a good song is not mimicry or replication or pastiche. 
It is the opposite. It is an act of self-murder that destroys all one has strived to produce in the past. It is those dangerous heart-stopping departures that catapult the artist beyond the limits of what he or she recognises as their known self. This is part of the authentic creative struggle that precedes the invention of a unique lyric of actual value. It is the breathless confrontation with one's vulnerability, one's perilousness, one's smallness, pitted against a sense of sudden shocking discovery. It is the redemptive artistic act that stirs the heart of the listener, where the listener recognises in the inner workings of the song their own blood, their own struggle, their own suffering. This is what we humble humans can offer, that I, I, AI can only mimic. The transcendent journey of the artist that forever grapples with his or her own shortcomings. This is where human genius resides, deeply embedded within, yet reaching beyond those limitations. Same for photography, in my eyes. This week's guest explaining to us what photography means to her in under five minutes couldn't be further away from the world of AI falsity and, uh, I suppose in a sense, fakeness. Her name's Deborah Parkin and she lives with her family and animals in the wild North Pennines in Northumberland. Her work is rooted in family life and her environment utilises a variety of mediums, from large format to digital and traditional alternative processes, such as wet plate, collodion, bromoil, albumin, cyanotype and silver gelatin. Before becoming a photographer and mother, Parkin spent many years in academia, researching for a PhD in women's war writing and teaching, as well as gaining an MA in Holocaust studies. Her passion for photography started in earnest with the birth of her son, as his arrival prompted a need to record the life of her new family. Parkin's photographic work has been exhibited and published worldwide, including in Japan, the US, UK, Bulgaria, Iran and China. It is also held in private collections, museums and galleries, including the Fox Talbot Museum, the Centre for Fine Art Photography in the US and the Charlet Gallery in Paris. Hello and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. My name is Deborah Parkin and I'm a photographer based in rural Northumberland. I live in a small hamlet on the Pennine Moors with my family. So the question of what does photography mean to me? Well, it's been really difficult to answer, to be honest, um, as it sort of shifts and it's evolved over the past 20 years that I've been photographing. But I suppose the best place to start is at the beginning when I announced to my nan that I wanted to be a photographer shortly after graduating from my degree in English literature. Uh, and she swiftly put me in my place and said that I couldn't afford to feed myself, let alone buy myself a camera. So, well, she was right, to be honest with you. So I decided to continue my academic and teaching route uh, for a few more years where I developed an interest in memoir and biography. Um, I did an MA in Holocaust literature uh, and read many uh, diaries and memoirs in that I think this also feeds into my work and my passion for family photography in particular. 
so just after my son was born, I went to see the Julia Margaret Cameron exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery. And I was absolutely mesmerised by it. I remember looking into the eyes of the sitters. Um, they sort of felt ghostly and their faces haunted my thoughts for many years. And they still do. I, I can still sort of visualise them quite clearly. Um, I remember thinking when I was looking at these sitters and I remember thinking that these were once living and breathing people just as I am as I stood in front of them. And all that was left of them were these photos. And it sort of gave you this sense of facing up to your own mortality. On top of that, as I've said before, the, the images were hauntingly beautiful. And I remember thinking it would be so wonderful to uh, make art as beautiful as this one day. Um, and this was before I was even actually had a camera in my hand. Uh, so with the birth of my son came the urgency to photograph and record his life. Um, I've kept a journal for many years, but with photography, I think I found my voice. I find it easier to talk through my images than I do through language. You can probably sort of hear that just in this podcast, that trying to find the words to articulate how I think and feel, I, I find quite difficult. Uh, so with the, the birth of my daughter, my photography became more experimental and more intimate. I wanted to make work that felt timeless. Um, and to do this, I started to work with large format cameras. I also learned the wet plate collodion process and I used Polaroid. Um, and I've been photographing in this way with the large format for about 12 or 13 years now, uh, since they were about five and, and I'm going now into their young adulthood. And it's a, a project that I hope to continue. Um, however, photography isn't just about documenting my family. Um, recently, in particular, I found that it's become a way of expressing how I'm feeling or how I'd felt. It's allowed me to express emotions and memories um, when words have escaped me. It's been a powerful medium in expressing and confronting feelings such as grief, trauma and illness. Things that I've always found difficult to talk about but they've seemed to have found their way into my work somehow. Um, photography isn't all uh, just about being creative either for me. Uh, I love to see other people's work. I get a real kick out of entering into worlds that would otherwise be off limits to me. Photography can be powerful and as empathetic as poetry and literature. Sometimes you can look at a photograph and you know that others feel the same as you do and that you're not alone. It can take you on a journey and it can educate and inform you. It's an extremely powerful medium and it's one of the reasons why I love it. So this is what photography means to me, to record and document, to express myself, to be creative and to educate and to escape. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. It's been a really thought-provoking question. Well, thank you for your contribution, Deborah. And I think your answer is going to uh, provoke thought and discussion and analysis and reflection also. I think it's very interesting when you have photographers such as Deborah creating the work she is, very much outside of the zeitgeist. I hate that word, but I'm going to use it. 
You see very little work like Deborah's being created today, and therefore it stands out, not only for its quality, for its the commitment of the maker, but for that aesthetic, for that uh, point of connection, I suppose, with the past, back with Victorian photography. By doing that, it stands out from the crowd. And that's something that I often hear people saying that they want to do. I so often hear about the next level. I have no idea where it is. I've never seen it. Standing out from the crowd. If you do this, it will create this. But the reality, of course, is that any of that is is a, a construct. What Deborah is doing is something that is true to her. And therefore, we believe it. It is believable. Highly recommend you check out her work. It's stunningly beautiful. Check out her website. And the details for that, as always, are on the unitednationsofphotography.com website, where this episode is posted, as well as wherever else you're hearing it, in your earphones, in your headphones, at this moment. I mentioned last week that we are now on Twitter at Photo Life Pod, capital P, capital L, and capital P. And we're also from this week on Instagram at Photo Life Pod. That's capital P, capital L, and capital P again. The intention of that is it's an Instagram feed directly related to this podcast. So if you enjoy the podcast and if you want to find out who's coming up on uh, future weeks, see examples of the work of the photographers we feature each week, then that to me seems like a very good idea to follow. Obviously, if you're not involved in social media, um, then just keep listening to us. I hope we're doing what you like every week and that you're enjoying the episodes. Just a little bit more promotion before we finish this episode, um, just to let you know that next week's uh, episode will be Bill Shapiro and I continuing the conversation. If you haven't checked this out already, uh, please do so. Go back uh, over the previous month and uh, you'll hear that each episode, each extract of the conversation, we pick a theme and we kind of run with it. We get different people to um, give us their advice and their input and their opinions. Well, so far we've done Art Speak. We've spoken about uh, the photo book. We've also spoken about Gatekeepers. And next Next week, uh, we're going to deal with something that I think that anybody who's taking their photography seriously needs to also take very seriously. We're talking about websites. We're talking about what makes a good one, how to construct one. Are they important? What do you expect them to do for you? And we've got some great contributors giving their opinions also. So as always, it's a very informal conversation. Uh, We shoot the breeze, um, but hopefully we also give you a lot of information. So that's uh, next week. That's episode 248. The conversation continues with myself and Bill Shapiro, and it's all about websites. Now, you've probably heard I've been tripping over my words a little bit this week. It is freezing in the shed. I've got the heater on, but it doesn't seem to be making any difference whatsoever. If you're new to the podcast and you hear me talking about a shed, you might think that, well, perhaps it's some expensive 
construction, insulated and all the rest of it. Well, it isn't. It literally is a shed where uh, before it turned into the little studio for the podcast is where the previous owner kept his apples. So, It's not so great when the weather gets cold. But um, I've got some thick clothing on. I've got some thick boots on. And of course, like you, I'm going to aim to take care. (laughs) 